0: Once was lost in dark night.
1: Father, we've come today to worship, to declare that you are our life, and that all we have is in you. We pray that you will be pleased and honored through our worship and let this hour together bring you glory and help us to, to be more like Christ. We ask this through the name and the power of Christ. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today before you're seated. Uh, it's great to see you as uh, we gather for worship today, and we especially want to welcome those of you who may be guests this morning. Glad to have you as a part of this time of worship, and uh, students who may be back, uh, we're happy to have you back as well. And uh, it's an exciting time of the year, and a lot of energy as uh, both campuses here in town are bustling with activity, and uh, it's great to see that, and we're excited about this new year ahead of us few things I want to highlight in the life of the church that are in your bulletin tonight at six o'clock we meet back here for a time of prayer Uh, the pastoral staff will be available to pray uh, for you if you'd like to be anointed with oil for healing uh, we we would be glad to do that and we're also going to spend some time just praying for the new academic year and asking God's grace and blessing upon us and uh, upon the institutions here at 7 o'clock, Koinonia, uh, first Koinonia of the, of the year will be held in Wesley Chapel, a time of worship and praise. And uh, we invite you to be a part of that gathering. And next Sunday morning is the beginning of Christian Life Emphasis Week. It's always a, a highlight in the life of uh, church and, and community. And uh, we hope you'll be a part of that. You see the schedule listed there in the bulletin. One of the significant ways in which we grow spiritually is by being involved in in small group settings, and connecting our lives with others, and as you see, and also in ministry. And as you see in the bulletin, there are a number of inserts or opportunities for you to be involved in small groups as well as uh, to use your gifts and talents and and to just serve others. And I want to encourage you to take a look at that, pray over those. If if you're not involved in ministry or uh, if you're not involved in a group, We encourage you to do that and you can either drop in the offering plate because there's a box in the back foyer or you can just contact the church office and express your interest and uh, we'll help you get uh, going and started in the groups or in ministries that we hope you'll be participating in. And if you need more information, the church website has uh, lots of information about things that are happening in the life of the church. There are a number of prayer concerns uh, that we want to remember praying for people uh, connected to us as well as things around the world. We certainly want to pray for everyone who's been affected by Hurricane Isaac and, and uh, the uh, devastation of that and just circumstances around the world where we ask for God's grace and mercy in a, in a very unique and powerful way. At this time, we'll ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. And children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church.
2: When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear them from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there.
1: As we spend a few moments praying together, if you would like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. Otherwise, please be seated. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you in this moment of prayer today because we know that you love us. And because you have you've admonished us to come to you with our burdens and our concerns, with our joys and our sorrows, with our praises and our words of adoration. in this moment of prayer, we do just that. We hear you inviting us to come before you as children. As children come to their father. We celebrate who you are, all that you've done, and we bow humbly in worship as your beloved children. Father today we pray for ourselves and for others whom we love in this in times of need. Father through your compassionate power we remember those who grieve and those who suffer. Those who are in anguish and pain and in this moment of silence we lay each burden, each concern, each person At your loving feet. Father, we pray for those who are struggling from the effects of Hurricane Isaac. We ask, Father, that you will give strength and peace in a situation that for many people feels like despair. We pray that you will help everyone who is still involved in rescue efforts. And we pray that you would raise up your people and and that you would raise up uh, people in leadership as beacons of light and life. Father, as we embark on a new academic year, we pray for grace upon all who are called to teach and upon all who come to learn and all who are leading every person who whose task may be support for all who are involved in the institutions that are connected to us and we ask for your grace and your power and your mercy for each one lord we pray that this will be a year of of magnificent growth growth in in learning about the world, growth in in learning about discipline that is being studied and more than anything, growth in knowing you. We pray, Father, that you will light a fire in this place, in our lives, in this church that will burn with passion and love and holiness that people might see you in us. And would be transformed by your grace. Father, in these times and all times, we come today to declare that we love you and we trust you. Help us to know your grace that we might live in your peace. And that we might walk in your ways every day of our lives. And we ask this, Father, through Christ. Our Lord, our Savior, our coming King, and the one who taught us to pray together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
3: The scripture reading for this morning is Exodus 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, "'Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, "'and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, "'saying, I will give it to your descendants. "'I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, "'Hittites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. "'Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, "'but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people.' And I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
1: speak to us, Lord, that we are so like Christ that the world sees you instead of us. Let us hear you now as we continue in worship and we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I don't think this is a surprise to you, but we live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world, right? A prolific author is only as good as her latest novel. A a Grammy-winning artist is only as good as his next album. The CEO of a company is, is expected to turn profits and need to see those not just yearly but quarterly athletes the world world uh, class athletes are always looking over their shoulder at the person coming up behind them who's faster and quicker and stronger and you know we we live in this world of what have you done for me lately your team wins a championship, and, and you celebrate, and the next morning you're thinking, so are we going to win another one next year? But you know, that, that whole concept of what have you done for me lately is not a 21st century phenomenon. It, it didn't begin just a few decades ago. It can be traced back at least as far as the 32nd chapter of the book of Exodus. You know, God has, has, as Exodus begins, Israel is in Egypt. They're slaves. God calls Moses. And he says, I want you to go to Egypt and, and be the messenger, the, the channel to bring my people out of slavery. And, and he does it. And God releases them from, from the Egyptian captivity and he, all these miraculous things God does. And he brings the people out and he says to them from the beginning, I'm going to not just bring you out of slavery, but I am going to take you to the promised land. I'm going to take you to that land that you could only begin to imagine how awesome it is. And Moses keeps telling them about this land where God is taking them. And, all, and they see all that God has done for them. And they sing great songs to God for rescuing them as they come through the Red Sea. And they're out in the wilderness. And God says to Moses, I want you to come up on the mountain because I'm going to give you instructions about how my people should live And Moses is on the mountain for 30, 40 days. And while he's on the mountain, the people get restless and antsy. And they tell Aaron, we want to do something. And Aaron says, give me your gold. And he fashions it into a calf. And the people begin to worship this calf. And Aaron says, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And there's all kinds of seeming hedonistic revelry going on as they worship this golden calf. And as you might imagine, God is angry. Moses is angry. When he comes down from the mountain, he smashes the tablets that have the the commandments on them. And the people are punished. And then you come to chapter 33. And God says to Israel... I'm going, to, I'm going to get you into the land. I'm going to do what I promised. I'm even going to send my angels to drive out the people who are living there. But I'm not going to go with you. God says to Moses, I want you, I want you to, to tell my people why I'm not going, why they're, I'm not going with them. That's an interesting, and Moses says, and this must have been a fun sermon to preach, uh, God wants me to tell you, you're all stiff-necked people. You're the most stubborn group of people he's ever seen. His word stiff-necked is an agricultural term. And it goes back to, to a farmer working with oxen and a yoke. And the oxen, you know, they wear the yoke, And the purpose of that is so that the farmer can control them. Without the yoke, the oxen are just going to go all over the place. So he puts the yoke on them and that allows him to control them in a straight line so that he can plow the field and after that plant the crop and then later on harvest the crop so that he can feed his family and ironically the oxen. But the oxen don't like the yoke. The oxen, it's heavy, it's restrictive and so they're fighting it. And eventually, if an oxen fights hard enough and long enough and violently enough, one of two things is probably going to happen. Either the oxen is going to break the yoke or the oxen is going to break his neck. And God says, this is the kind of people you are. You are stubborn oxen that are willing to risk breaking your necks... To get away from me. Now it's interesting that word that, that God uses. Stiff necked is the same word that he uses to describe their plight in Egypt. They are, they are enslaved. They, they, are, they are under this yoke of slavery while they're in Egypt. And then he takes a step further. And in, in Exodus 13 he says that Pharaoh treats God as a stiff necked person. So now God is saying to Israel, you're just like Pharaoh. Wow, that had to hurt. And, and you people don't understand that the yoke I'm putting on you is for your good. It's, it's to bring about blessing. It's, it's, it's for me to help you get on the right path and to, and to receive and to live out what I created you to live. But all you're thinking about is this thing is restrictive and I'm trying to get it off. And so God says, all right. You want to be that way, be that way. But I don't want to have anything to do with it. You you want to go your own way, go ahead. But I'm not going with you. It's ironic that God says he's not going with them because the whole book of Exodus is about God wanting to dwell with his people. In chapter 29, verse 46, God says to Israel, this is how everyone will know that that i that i'm your god because i dwell with you that's my purpose for calling you out to dwell with you but it's a completely unusual kind of mindset that it has because god the gods that the other nations around them have no concept of a god who wants to dwell with them their view of the gods is that the gods are self-centered and self-serving and capricious and the only reason they have any connection or interaction with human beings is because they want human beings to, use, to do things for them. They are, they are simply tools to get what the gods want. It, it sort of reminded me of, of the book or the movie, The Help. Some of you may have seen that, that movie or read that book. And it's, it's a story about white socialite women in the deep south in the 50s, early 60s who hire black women from these very in the poor area of town to come and work in their homes. And, and the, but the black women come to their homes and spend time in their homes and with these socialite white women, not because the, women, the white women want to have a relationship with these black women, but it's because these black women are willing to be paid a pittance to do what these white socialite women don't want to do. They, they have no interest in a relationship. They just can use these people to make their lives easier. And in a sense, that's how all the other nations of the world view their gods. The gods only have interaction with them so that because the, the people, the human beings can do something for them. And here God comes along, Yahweh comes along and says, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to dwell among you. I want to bless you because I love you. And the Israelites say basically, no thanks. Now, we understand all about being stiff-necked, right? I mean, we understand being stubborn with God. How many times have you either thought or, or said, God, why are you doing this to me? God, what's going on? Why don't you care about me? Why am I not important to you anymore? why why is this happening this is all your fault and we might not say those words out of our mouths but the thoughts are in our minds from time to time and we're thinking lord i know you want me to do this but i really would rather do this and we're fighting with god continually i don't know about you but i read the the scriptures in the old testament and i read the stories of the israelites and i think How could they be so blind? How could they be so pig headed? And then it's as though God taps me on the shoulder and says, Really? Seriously? You're asking that question? You? We understand that. We're so much like them. Moses says that the God who wants to dwell with the people is. It says he's not going to because it's an interesting couple times, interesting phrase. God says, because if I go with you, I might destroy you. And we read that and we think, oh boy, that's, I don't like that. You know, it's an image of God being angry and not being able to control his emotions. And we're thinking, wow, I don't really like that view of God. I really wish that was in the scriptures. It's interesting to me that the writers of the scriptures are not in any way afraid... To present God in that light. I think part of the problem is because we have this image of God as sort of this grandfatherly character whose, whose mean reason for existence is to dote on us. And and to just do good for us. And this is this is what the image we have of God. And what God wants relationship with us. And when you get involved in relationships. There are times where things don't go the way you want it to go. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. And you think about people who are just not that important to you. They don't really make you angry. Like people that you love and care about might be able to make you angry. And the reason you have that passion, that that anger... Is because you care, because they're important to you. If you're a parent and you have children and they do something stupid and you get angry at them and you, and you scold them and you punish them, is it because you don't love them? No, it's because you're concerned about them. It's because you care about them. It's because you realize that what they're doing is going to harm them. And God looks at Israel and He says, "You're my people on the face of the earth. You are the re, you're 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 my representatives here." And when you keep making these bad decisions, you're sending a message to your children that that's the way you live. And when you send the message that I don't care, that that I'm not to be trusted, that I don't love you, then that message is passed along to your children. And they have that image of me as well. And their children will have that image of me. And all the other nations of the world are going to have this skewed image of me. And God is angry with them not just because he can't control his emotions like we have a difficult time doing but because he loves them and he cares about them because he's called them to be his representatives on this earth and they're saying we don't care and God says all right fine maybe I'll just need to go find someone else he says to Moses when they're on the mountain in 32 chapter 32 i tell you what i'm going to destroy these people i'll start over with you moses In response to God's message, the people do an interesting thing. It says they strip off their ornaments. And I think there's probably two reasons why they do that. One is because the ornaments are what they use to make the golden calf, and so they want to distance themselves from that really bad decision. But also the ornaments are a symbol of celebration and rejoicing. And God, and they want to, God to understand they realize they've sinned, they're repenting of their sin, and they're in mourning over their sin. And they don't want to have any indication that they're anything but in mourning. They're serious about it. And Moses says to God in verse 15, Lord, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. If you're not going to go with us, then we'd rather just stay here. Moses is saying, if you're not going with us to the promised land, then it's really not the promised land. Because we're beginning to understand that the promised land is not so much about what the land looks like, it's about you being there with us. And we would rather risk incurring your wrath again than going and you not being present. I've been pondering Moses' words. And in my opinion, it's the most fascinating part of this whole story. Because I have a feeling from my own life and just talking with people through the years that we have a tendency to be more interested in God's promises than in God's presence. We have a tendency to want God's gifts more than we want God himself. We have somehow come to believe that that if we just have if we can just reveal God's power in the world, then people will follow him. That, that we're so enamored with, with God blessing us and God giving us his promises that we have ignored the central point of God and us and that is relationship. We have, you know, we have forgotten that and part I think part of the reason we do that is because relationships are hard. It's a whole lot easier to have a the kind of relationship where someone just gives us things and we don't really have to engage them but in a real genuine living relationship it's hard work it's give and take it's sacrifice it's emotion and often we're far more interested in what's easiest than what's best you know we're we're interested in getting to the end And God is interested in the journey as we move toward the end. We have believed the lie that salvation is about a moment in time when God keeps telling us in the scriptures that salvation is about a lifetime relationship. We are more interested in how fast we can get to where we're going Than living and enjoying and embracing the relationship as we get to where we're going. And we're so interested in speed, God is interested in growth and in loving us and caring for us and in building relationships with us. It's counterintuitive to how the world operates. Because in our world, what people notice is what's flashy. I mean, and the church is bought into that. You know, we 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 want people to know great things happen. God does phenomenal things. Look at all these great things that are going on, and and that's not bad. But sometimes that becomes so much our focus that that's really our passion, and the presence and the relationship gets. Pushed to the background. But the reality is, if our passion is the presence of God, the gifts just naturally come. If our passion is the gifts, we miss out on the presence. Someone was telling me recently about when their children were young, and and uh, one of the one of the children's grandparents, grandmothers had a practice of every night when she came home, she would clean out her purse, all the change in her purse, and she would put it in jars. And, and each of the grandchildren had a jar. And she would divide up that change in the jars. And when the grandchildren came to visit, she would give them the money. And they thought this was great, obviously. You know, these are small children, maybe four, five, six years old. So and it was an awesome thing. And the parents said, you know, it's really great. And the kids can buy a little bit with it. But then the parents began to realize that every time they went to visit grandma, the children jumped out of the car, ran to the house, ran right past grandma to get to the money. And even on the occasions where the parents said, look, you need to give grandma a hug and say something to her before you run into the house and get the money. Even when the kids did that, they really weren't interested in grandma. Their eyes were moving right past her to the money. And I suspect that there's something in the back of our minds that sees God that way. God, we we need your gifts. God, we want your power. We want to experience your promises. And God loves to do all of that. But as the natural outworking of his presence. Not because God is some vending machine that just gives us stuff. It's interesting in verse 16... Moses says, God, if you don't go with us, how will anybody else know that we're your people? How will anybody know that we're your people if you don't go with us? When I read that, I thought to myself, I don't think we, we think of it that way. I think in our minds is people will know we're God's people if they see great things happen. And then we remember back to to John's gospel. And Jesus says to his disciples in the upper room, and that night before he goes to the cross, he says, "Everyone will know you're my disciples if you do great things. If if you if you can heal the sick, if you can cure diseases, if you can move mountains. No, you'll know you're my disciples if you love each other. They'll know you're my disciples." If the, if my spirit lives in you, and really wanting the presence of God is simply wanting to be filled with the spirit. That the spirit lives in us and invades us. And when the spirit lives in us, then the spirit and the things of the spirit come out of us. How do we know that our passion is to dwell in the presence of God? How do we know that that's really what we want? Because we begin to see the spirit coming out of us. So when we have every right to hold a grudge, we forgive. When the world tells us, hang on to everything you can, we live with the spirit of generosity. When we're tempted to Lash out in anger, we choose gentleness. When people we love make us so impatient, we choose patience. When we want everyone to know our opinions, we instead are committed to the truth. when we would rather ignore people who are not like us and who are really not very fun to be around, we choose compassion that leads us to involvement in people's lives just like Christ. When we are passionate about the presence of God instead of being passionate about the gifts and the promises of God, then the Spirit lives in us and we begin to look more and more like Christ. And our attitudes are like Christ. And our relationships are built on the foundation of Christ. And people take notice. They look at us as individuals and as a community and they say... Not wow, those people do great things, but you know, they love each other, they care about each other. They have something that we don't have and we want that. And God is glorified and people's lives are transformed. I heard a story took place here in our church. Before we lived here, probably 20-some years ago, there was a little four-year-old boy who was about to have a birthday. And he was all excited about this birthday. He had a list of all the, the gifts that he hoped to get. And, and he, was, he was, you know, just everything in life was wrapped around this big birthday. His birthday was on Monday, and Sunday night, the church had a potluck dinner. The place was packed in the community room, and everyone was seated around the table as Pastor Mike stood up to pray for the meal. And he started his prayer by saying, Lord, we thank you for your presence here. And the little boy's head popped up, and he said, presence? There's presents!" And he said, everybody at the table could hardly stop laughing as the prayer was finished. And when I heard that story, I thought to myself, how easily we turn those words. When you think about this new year upon us, and you think about our lives as individuals and as a community of faith, is our passion presence or God's presence? What's driving us? What's moving us? What's motivating us? What's at the heart of who we are as the people of God? Heavenly Father, we pray that you will fill us with the spirit of Christ that we can say with Moses, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. If our lives individually and corporately are not about you and your spirit amongst us, then we're dead. We're lost. We've missed it. Father, forgive us for our stiff-necked stubbornness. And make us people who are more interested in your presence. Then in your presence. And we pray this through Christ. Amen.
3: Please stand and join us as we sing.